Good morning. If I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Jamie. I'm a part of the staff team here at South Point. So glad that you've joined us uh, this morning. Uh, we are in the final Sunday of this series we've called Into the Unknown, where we have been looking at the story that you find in the very first book of the Bible called Genesis about this relationship between God and a man named Abraham. And what we've discovered as we've looked at this story is that much of this journey for Abraham has been dealing with the unknown. He, when God first comes to Abraham, he tells him to leave what is familiar, his family and the place that he has lived, and to go to an unknown place. And while he's in that unknown place, he spends most of his time just wandering from place to place and always around people that he's unfamiliar with. And then God makes promises to Abraham, but he doesn't give him a whole lot of details. So he's constantly living with this unknown of, of how and when a lot of these promises might be fulfilled. And, and one of the key promises that he makes is that, that he's going to have a son with his wife, Sarah, and they are well advanced in age, like they are old, like beyond childbearing years, and they've not at this point been able to have kids, but God continues to show up in Abraham's unknown, and he's faithful in his promises to Abraham, even when he messes up, and even when he doesn't fully understand, and even when he tries to take control. And then in God's perfect timing, which is 25 years after God first comes to Abraham, when Abraham is 100 and his wife Sarah is 90 years old, they finally have this promised son and they name him Isaac. God fulfills his promise to Abraham and Sarah. They have their son and that seems like the perfect place to end this story. I mean, can you imagine the movie of this? Like, get the picture of this. The closing scene like this elderly couple cradling this promised child, and the music crescendos and the camera pans back and fades in this setting sun, and then the credits roll, and it's all done. But God isn't finished. And that's where we pick up this morning in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. It says this, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. If you're just jumping into the story this morning, or even if you've been following along, you may be like, did I hear that right? Is God telling Abraham to sacrifice this promised son? The short answer is yes. But it's more complicated than a simple yes, as you will see in the verses that follow. But there are two phrases that I think it's really important that we understand this morning that's found right at the front of this section. The first phrase is after these things. These things is not referring to what just happened 
in the chapter before. It's not just about the birth of Isaac and this conflict that happens between Abraham and the ruler of that area. It's so much more. It's about what happens in Genesis chapter 12 through 21. It's 25 years of relationship with God. And why this is so important is that over these 25 years, God has continued to reveal himself to Abraham. God has continued to show Abraham his character and his nature. God has continued to be faithful to Abraham, even when Abraham wasn't faithful to God. And he has blessed Abraham, and he's shown Abraham favor. And he's even given Abraham his promised son. In other words, throughout the relationship, Abraham has learned to trust God. The second phrase is that God tested Abraham. This reveals what God is doing or the why behind this request. This is, this is a test for Abraham, not of Abraham's loyalty to God, but of his trust in God. It isn't about blind faith. Some people teach us passages as if this is just a blind faith thing. This is not about blind faith. This is about trust that's been developed over time in this relationship with God, where God over and over again has demonstrated his faithfulness to Abraham. This trust has been developed through the waiting and through the trials that Abraham faced, which leads us to the very first point. Abraham's trust developed in his trials. There's this New Testament book called James, which was written by the half-brother of Jesus, where James writes this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finishes work so that you may be complete, not lacking in anything." This doesn't say, consider it pure joy when everything goes our way or when stuff happens the way that we want it to happen and when we want it to happen. It doesn't say that God grants us every wish and every dream. No, it's pure joy when we face trials. A trial creates a moment where we don't know how things are going to work out. A trial wrecks our plans. A trial takes away our ability to see the clear path to getting what we think will make us happy. It's in those moments that we make life's most critical choices. Either we will decide, if God lets this happen to me, I will not trust him. If he will not prevent days like this, I will find someone else to trust. Or the struggle will push us to turn to God for more help, to trust more deeply that he is with us and that he is for us, to believe that he will carry us through the trial. And all of this is for our good. Because when we continue to put our trust in God and lean on him more and more in both the small things and in the big things in life, we are in the place that is best for us, knowing that God is with us and that he is in control. This is where deeper happens. This is where maturity comes. Because sometimes our approach to growing in our relationship with God can be so one-dimensional. 
It, it can all be about gaining more knowledge to know more about God or, or to, uh, to, to know more about some sort of a doctrine or to enter into some sort of a deep dive into the Bible. Don't misunderstand me. All of these things are good and all of these things are important. But according to James, what really produces what we're looking for in this deeper faith, in this deeper relationship and maturity with God is how we face trials in our life and who we rely on in the midst of those hardships. How much we really trust God. This is where the rubber meets the road. Here, the hard, here is the hard part for us to get our heads around sometimes. Trials are for our good. The hard things we face in life will drive us one of two ways. They'll either, either drive us toward God or away from God. And, and even if they drive us away from God, often we'll discover how empty the things that we try to fill ourselves are. And then that will, in turn, begin to drive us back to him. God created us to be in relationship with him, not because God needs it or because he fills some sort of ego thing or a power trip for God, but because God wanted to share himself with us, his goodness, his love, his peace. And only in him can we find our satisfaction. Only in him can we find our security, our identity, and our peace. We, we need to see trials we face in life differently. They are a way for us to deepen our trust and ultimately deepen our relationship with God. That's why Abraham will respond the way he does. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. On <clears throat> then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Without hesitation, Abraham does what God has asked him to do. And what is so unique about what we see Abraham do here is that he saddles his donkey. He cuts the wood. Now, keep in mind that Abraham is well over 100 years old at this point. And Abraham's stinking wealthy. Like, this is jobs that he could have had his servants do, but he does them himself. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Abraham, Isaac, and two of his servants leave on this journey that takes three days. Can you imagine what those three days would have been like? In some ways, it would have been the longest three days of Abraham's life. In some ways, it would have been the shortest three days of Abraham's life. And he probably is replaying over and over again this encounter with God where he's given him these instructions. And he's doing this while he's on this journey in close proximity to Isaac, his son. And maybe from Isaac's perspective, he's excited to be on this trip with his father. Like he knows that Abraham has this unique and special relationship with God. And, and, man, this must be an important sacrifice if we're traveling three days to do it. 
But what really stands out in this section is what Abraham tells his servants. Did you catch it? Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. The NIV says it a little clearer, and it says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Notice the we will come back. I don't think Abraham was trying to hide the fact that he's been asked to sacrifice Isaac from Isaac and his servants. I think that this shows that he trusts God with that Isaac is going to return with him after the sacrifice. Maybe that's what he spent the most time on this three-day journey thinking about. Like, what is God going to do to make it so that Isaac is going to go back home with me? In fact, you get the answer to this in another New Testament book called Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. It says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was, even, was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham reasoned, based upon what he knew about God and who God was and the faithfulness that he has and the fact that Isaac has been this promised son through which all of these offspring would come and the world would be blessed, that even though there was no precedent for this, that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham fully trusted God, which leads me to the second point. Abraham trusted in the promiser more than the promise. It would have been easy for Abraham to say to God, but God, you promised me Isaac. He, he's supposed to be the one. How, how can you now take him from me? His focus could have been all about the promise that God had made, but instead his focus is on the promiser, God. This is really difficult to do, especially when hard things happen to us. The way we sometimes approach this is, God, I'm doing what you want me to do. I put my faith in you. I thought things would be easier. Shouldn't things, like, go my way? But when it doesn't, we start to question God's goodness. About three years into my wife Wendy's battle with cam cancer, I started to see a counselor. And, and I'll never forget a session that I had with my counselor, Carol, and she asked me this question that I still reflect on to this day. She said, do you think God owes you something? And at first I thought, no. And then as I was sitting and thinking about it, I'm like, that's it. That's why I've been so angry. I believe that God owes me something in this. And the truth of the matter is, just like that song we just sang, God owes me nothing. But we need to trust God, not just for the outcome or what we hope will happen. We need to simply trust him. It's so easy for us to get, on, get focused on the blessing and not the one who blesses us. And it's so easy for us to give get focused on the gift and not be focused on the giver 
of gifts. Abraham chooses to trust the promiser. Verses 6 through 19. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as of the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived in Beersheba. No one is exactly sure how old Isaac is at this point. Many people think that he was around a teenage in the teenage years. Some people think maybe he was as old as 30. But one thing's for sure, he's old enough to know what's happening. I mean, he asked the question, like, we're going for this offering, right? We're burnt offering, where's the lamb? <laughs> and, you know, once the altar is built, Isaac willingly goes on the altar. I mean, Abraham, again, he's over 100 years old. <laughs> Isaac could have run away. He could have fought his father. But he does it willingly. Abraham never wavers and trusts God all the way to the point that he's ready to do the thing that he's dreaded for the last three days. And then God calls his name and stops him from harming Isaac. It was never God's plan to harm Isaac. He was testing Abraham. And, and when I read this, I wonder how long that ram was in the thicket. Like, did it just happen? Like, the ram got stuck right as all this is going on? Did God just, like, instantly put the ram there? Or was that ram there from the very get-go And Abraham was so focused on building the altar and doing what God wanted him to do that he either didn't see it or he just ignored it because that wasn't 
what God had asked of him. There's so much more I could share and I could say about this section, but I really want to single out a single piece. And it's really regarding when God renews this promise or this covenant with Abraham again. I mean, we've heard this several different times as we've shared the story of Abraham. And, and, and you hear it, uh, the same things that are mentioned, that his descendants are going to be like the stars in the sand, that they're going to they're be able to occupy this land, like he promises all those things. But there is something unique and specific about this promise that he makes that isn't in the others. He kind of defines it a little bit more. He says this, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In other words, there is someone that will come from your lineage who will be the way that God will bless the world. He's pointing to Jesus. Not, not only is God growing Abraham to trust through this, it's through this story that God is revealing how he's ultimately going to offer himself in the person of Jesus as the way that we will be able to have a relationship with him, a relationship that had been destroyed by sin. Which leads us to the last thing that we see. Through Abraham's trust, God foreshadows his ultimate plan. God uses this test as a way to pull back the curtain on what he's going to do to redeem the world. God will send his one and only son, Jesus, just like Isaac is referred to the, as Abraham's one and only son. Just like Abraham, as the father of Isaac, would make all of the preparations for the sacrifice, God himself will take the next 2,000 years and make the preparations for the sacrifice of Jesus. Most scholars agree that the place that God calls Abraham to do this sacrifice will eventually become the city of Jerusalem. And some scholars, and there's some argument around this, there's no way to prove this, but some scholars believe that one of two things exists where this sacrifice almost took place, where this altar was built. One of those places is the temple, where Solomon builds a temple, where sacrifices will be made over and over and over again until the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, comes to make the sacrifice. The second one is even more interesting. Some scholars believe that the altar was built where Jesus himself was crucified on the cross. Just like Isaac, Jesus would carry the wood in the form of a cross as a sacrifice. Just like Isaac, Jesus would willingly lay down his life. And the biggest difference between the two is while Isaac is spared, Jesus is not. And he will die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And the ram is kind of a story within the story because the ram ends up being the substitute for Isaac, whereas Jesus is a substitute for us. And don't miss the significance of the three-day journey. You see, in Abraham's eyes, the moment that God told him to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac was dead to him. I mean, Abraham had made the decision he was going to obey God. And then Isaac is given back to him at the end of three days. This is what 
the writer of Hebrews stated. He said he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And Jesus would be in the grave for three days and then raised to life again, conquering death. This, Jesus is how all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. And just like Abraham was reconciled back to Isaac, Jesus' death and resurrection would make a way for everyone who believe in him to be reconciled back with God the Father. God uses this event in Abraham's life to point forward to what he will do through Jesus. This is a huge reminder as to why we need to trust God. And it's simply this, because God knows the future. He's not bound by the moments of time that we're restricted to. He lives above time. He's beyond time. He exists outside of time. He knows it all and he's seen it all. He knows how it ends. And I know there are many listening to this right now who are struggling and who are hurting. And my encouragement to you is to trust God and know he is good. That he is at work and lean into him and lean on him. Cry out to him. Let him comfort you. Here's the bottom line. God is good. And he knows the future and he knows how all of this works together. And we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you are a God who is good, who is love, who holds our future in your hands. And Father, that we can trust you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is the reason that we are here this morning, that he's the reason that we have hope, that he is the reason that we have a restored and reconciled relationship with you. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to shape us and form us to be more like him. And it's in the name of Jesus I ask these things. Amen.